0: our panel in studio this morning. Aoife Barry, Assistant News Editor at the thejournal.ie. Good, Good morning, Aoife. Good morning. Uh, Good morning. Philip Ryan is the Deputy Political Editor with Independent Newspapers. Morning, Philip. Morning, Gavin. And Alex White is a Senior Counsel, a Labour member of Dunleer Rathdown County Council, former Minister for Communications and Labour candidate for the <laughs> European <laughs> Parliament. Uh, Alex, which of those <laughs> titles do <laughs> you like <laughs> <know yours laughs> <want> to respond <laughs> <laughs> to? That. us That's a show. really That's all <laughs> we time for today. Uh, thank you all very much for coming in. You're all very welcome along. Uh, let's tell you, uh, bring you what's going through the front pages of this morning's newspapers. Sunday Independent a story by uh, Philip Ryan now of this parish Um, hospital costs now advisors to blame the government is moving to shift blame for the National Children's Hospital debacle onto highly paid consultancy firms which provided advice before construction on the controversial project even started the move comes after Taoiseach Leo Varadkar caused a major headache for his own government by sparking a war of words with the construction firm heading up the major state project we'll talk about that in a few minutes time also on the front page of the Sunday Independent by the way uh, Pat Kenny who is actually of this parish Seeking legal advice after a fake news story and doctored photographs of the star with a black eye appeared online, claiming that he had been arrested and escorted off the News Talk premises. The broadcaster told the Sunday Independent that the material was brought to his attention by a concerned member of the public. Um, he has been insisting, of course, uh, correctly, that none of that is true. Uh, front page of the Sunday Times. Uh, BAM warned Taoiseach over lowball slur. Justine McCarthy reports that the chief executive of BAM Ireland, the builder of the 1.73 billion euro National Children's Hospital, gave the Taoiseach a 6pm 6 p- 6 ultimatum last Wednesday to exempt publicly the company from a criticism he had made in the Dáil Theo Cullenan accused Leo Varadkar in a letter on Tuesday of damaging Bam's reputation when the Taoiseach had stated that there were quote, one or two contractors that he would not like to see winning any more state contracts he made that comment while answering questions about the overrun at the National Children's Hospital front page of the Sunday Business Post City Council Chief good homeless services in Dublin create demand Dublin City Council Chief Executive Owen Keegan has said the local authority's success in providing quality homeless accommodation is creating a danger of excessive demand and some people may not want to leave there's been huge investment by the city council with the department of housing in the homeless services massive investment and better solutions keegan said this is in an interview with roisin burke every year we've added two to three hundred bed spaces they're much higher quality spaces one of the paradoxical problems with that is that people are kind of reluctant to move on they're almost permanent homeless services are the more you do the more it becomes attractive he said Uh, moving on the Irish Mail on Sunday hospice gifted 250,000 euro house and then sold it for 37,000 euro this is a story about a publicly funded hospice in Dublin which was gifted a property worth 250,000 euro back in 2008 Uh, it took five and a half years to sell it on and by the time it had done so not only did it only make 37,000 euro in the sale but it had apparently incurred almost 70,000 euro in management fees along the while Uh, and finally the front page of the Sunday World uh, Nicola Talent exclusive uh, John of Odds Gilligan offers our report his last 10p, as he appears in court, over €23,000 cash seizure. Uh, just some of the stories that are on the front pages of the newspapers this morning, but we will start uh, with the obvious one. Philip, your own story on the front page of the Sunday Independent. Uh, the government now trying to shift the blame away from the builders, with whom are, they seem pretty unhappy with what was said in the door during the week, and now are
1: blaming advisors. Which advisors? Well, well, I think first and foremost, they're trying to shift the blame away from themselves, to, to anyone and absolutely anyone who, who could take responsibility. I think there's an aspect of when, when they talk about consultancy there's a lot of consultancy firms involved in this project and in any state project whether it's design project managers quantity surveyors and there's endless amount of it uh, highly paid as these uh, mysterious sources like to tell me mm. um but they uh, but the, part of the aspect of this I think is that Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has caused a, a bit of a problem for them with his comments during the week. Like There was a lot of focus on their, um, how he used Doyle privilege to start uh, making accusations about low-balling, but, but he also went on to say that he, there, was, there was contractors out there who he didn't want to see ever get a contract. Just, just to put full context
0: on this, this is what Leo Varadkar had to say in the dole last Tuesday, February the 12th. I think we have that audio now. We also particularly want to look at past form. Uh, of contractors uh, and public service references, because uh, there are one or two contractors, there are one or two contractors who, quite frankly, I would not like to see get a public contract again in this state. Um, however, EU procurement law doesn't allow us to ban people from tendering. But perhaps what we can do is work into the scoring system a uh, public service uh, reference um, or up, a past form to- clause, looking back at previous projects. I don't know Philip whether you were at the same uh, cabinet briefing that I was at on Tuesday afternoon where we usually get an opportunity to ask the government press secretary about matters that mm. were discussed at cabinet and onwards and uh, whether you were or not we certainly asked the government press secretary to you know elaborate on what Leo Varadkar had said and the response difficult process. the response that we got at the time was that when when he wasn't speaking with the veil of doll privilege he would prefer not to substantiate which mm. makes you think that in fact maybe Bam do have a point when they are writing back to Leo Varadkar
1: saying could you please clarify that that's not us you're talking about Well this is the thing and and If it was a member of the opposition, I think the government and the Fine Gael, TDs and others would be jumping up and down, making condemnation about abuse of Doyle privilege and and people's rights to their good name. Now, uh, like BAM, do, <laughs> it is a massive company, and there is actually a, an interesting suggestion by John Brazel in the papers today. If if bam were prepared to they could clear their own name by publishing all the the tenders they applied for and the final costs of what they actually got for in the end uh, and that that could be one way of uh, doing it but i can understand where they were coming from and, and why they why they put down a, a gave him an ultimatum to to change it and and then why ultimately they were forced into issuing a statement
0: um is there something to be said though if for the the argument that the government is making in philips piece this morning that they the government is trying to basically say that they are not the ones who uh, set this budget and then dramatically had it overshot and if it wasn't the builder then it is going to have to be some advisor somewhere along Simon Harris isn't going to say that he himself decided to spec out exactly what kit the children's hospital was going to need
2: Yeah of course and he said that many times himself that he'd make a terrible engineer I think he said in that interview that he did yesterday um, that he couldn't build IKEA furniture I think was his comment so he couldn't be necessarily trusted to cost uh, <laughs> Other bi- flat pack brands are Yeah available. or other or any <laughs> flat pack brand indeed that may exist um, uh, Yeah and, and I think um, you know there's obviously a huge amount of people um, involved along the way and There's not one person that makes a decision about it, but I, I you know, I think going back to what uh, Philip was saying there about trying to shift the blame, we have to not lose sight of the fact that all of these people saw different, you know, information along the way, and and you, you know, you have to wonder who who was kind of making the decisions, but also if you think about it, if you're tendering for something, you have to. You have to give, I suppose, an amount of money that you believe is going to be seen as an acceptable amount of money. We know the government isn't going to go. Let's go for the highest amount of money here, and we we don't know what we're going to get in response to it. But we also we also have to look at it and see. Well, we, like, who's going to look at at the mistakes that could come up, or the fact that the money is definitely going to get extended beyond what we think it is, mm. and how are we planning for that? And. Was there any planning done for these kind of vast amount of sums? There wasn't. There doesn't seem to be anybody thinking that this tender, of course, is going to go beyond what they initially said it was going to go to. But it wasn't. Nobody stopped and thought, well, what's the what's the limit here? Um, and it just looks really messy. You know, it, it just looks kind of embarrassing to see them shifting it on to I different think, people. I, I but think, the consultants well, do get paid the, a huge amount of money well, too. Well, that's so, true. You know? And
1: I think one of the points they are trying to make is that a lot of these consultants designed the spec which the contractors, in, let's then say, let's, let's not say on. focus on yeah. this one thing, but in... In a process of putting together a massive state project, mm. the the consultancy firms, of, for whatever their talents may be or their expertise, they come together, they design a spec for a project, design the actual project, and then the, the contractors come along based on that spec and and bid for it and put. So you could say that maybe if in a contractor in a in a scenario that. that that, that they are only bidding on the spec that's put before them. But
2: it's it's not like if the contractors Mm. haven't done any work before and don't know what it's like to actually construct a building. You know, I mean, uh, like, how are they making these decisions? I
0: suppose that the one question on that, though, Alex White, is that the state hasn't built a new hospital from the ground up in so many decades that Mm. it is perhaps understandable to a point that if they are to imagine that it will cost this amount when there is no institutional memory anywhere within the machinery of the state, that of course it's going to overrun.
3: I think that's definitely true to a certain extent. You look around the world, I mean, I, I was just reading recently about the new airport in Berlin which hasn't opened yet which is supposed to cost two billion and will cost seven and mm. um, open in 2020. Hospitals. Even the
0: efficient Germans can't get it yeah. right sometimes. Yeah and there's
3: a huge controversy about that in German political as well. There's two worlds at two worlds going on here. There's the world of technical assessment engineering assessment quantity surveyors all of the exactly as Philip said the analysis the prediction and so on and then there's the political world and the two clash the two are clashing at the moment and I mean Eva's right you know you expect the political world and the public expect some kind of early warning systems to have some sense like it doesn't come as a huge surprise to people that a hospital will cost more than people thought four or five years ago mm. but it's like when did we know that and how much more and how will we know whether it's but going to cost it, more in the future but is, is it tenable not to word accept passion.
0: that a project that we were told originally would cost less than half a billion and then six eight five million was the figure mm. we were given for so long that it now could conceivably cost three times that much that's not an acceptable margin of error
3: no 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 it's extraordinary and we need to know and need to have explained to us why the gap is just so huge. I mean, you'd expect some increase. We wouldn't expect an increase to be more than double effectively of some of the earlier predictions, mm. which are obviously way off. And obviously they were not robust predictions at the time, and that's an understatement. And that the political system is kind of, you know, and the Taoiseach during the week and the minister, and so I see Pascal Donner writing this on the Sunday Independent today, kind of a damage limitation piece. You know, we'll have new systems in the future. The the public lose confidence, that's the trouble. And it becomes toxic then, and it gets really corrosive of public trust in relation to all public projects. And we need Stephen Kinson and the Sunday Business Post making the point in the generality that we need massive investment in this country including in the health services and just switch people off to any level of confidence or belief that things can be done properly Is there That's a danger the that, that
0: people will be warded off from any big project like this at all in future because there will always be the fear that what if it goes like the children's hospital and definitely, costs three times as much
3: Definitely and I've you know reason to believe even the last few weeks chatting to people generally in the public service that there's a that there's a chilling factor now you know a chill factor what's it called chill chilling mm-hmm, factor. Mm-hmm. that people they won't come forward like they lose their sense of ambition and so on particularly maybe public servants who want to see these things done who are good leaders in their own right but they'll actually be worried because they say if I put my neck out and say it's going to cost this and it hasn't been actually but properly assessed not where are we worried. going to end up should well, we
1: not have a little bit of that fear because I think for many many years not there was no fear not if they end, no up, doing in in if the end up doing nothing that's mm. what I mean but there was no fear in the civil service because everybody was they were such a protected species mm. and we've now come to a kind of juncture in, uh, in 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 Irish society where there is no protected species and, and there is well, actually more something. pressure on, on public servants because like this government as well they, they do like to throw people under the bus no mm. doubt I think the previous end of Kenny Bunny he threw the, the ministers under the bus mm. but in this government it seems to be that, uh, that it's the civil servants or people who well,
3: that's your point about consultants. And I think the a good mm. piece. So the mm. an attempt to sort of point the finger at consultants. But mm. like there's less and less capacity within the public service, unfortunately, in recent years to actually mm. make these big, big assessments. It's all farmed out to consultants. I saw it in my own department when I was there. There mm. isn't the capacity to deal with big public, public sector, public funded infrastructural change that we need in this country. And that's why the consultants come in. I mean, the consultants may well but be blameworthy to, here. But you said it about, but the what about the, the health, the
1: Stephen Kinsler piece in the Sunday Business Post mm. shows that actually The pay uh, pay bill in the Department of Health has gone from 5.9 billion to £8 billion from 2015 to this mm. year. So, well, so how many more people are they employing? Well, they're very well paid if they're not employing well, many they, more people. There's a public service pay <laughs> deal there you have to look at uh, that, I uh, uh, back,
0: that. Back on topic for a moment uh, you mentioned uh, Alex that the, the Pascal Donahue piece which he has written in the Sunday Independent and yeah. described it as a bit of a of, uh, damage limitation and the one thing that strikes me about it all is that however way you interpret the offer that was put on the table this week by BAM where they came out on Friday mm. somewhat unexpectedly yeah. uh, mm. and said uh, you know if you'd like to retender it we're not going to stand in your yeah. way. Yeah. Firstly by the way they did mention whether they would still expect there to be some sort of negotiated settlement I don't think they're going to walk away from a 600 million euro contract without mm. some sort of compensation goes, to, to, yeah. to pull it over um, but Pascal Bonahou has made such a virtue he does it again on the Sunday Independent mm-hmm. today and he said it several times this week there's going to be learnings from this yeah. we're going to be, you know, be a little bit more discerning about what we give to outside agencies we're going to be more discerning around two phase tendering and all of this mm. Mm. suddenly now the government has been presented with the opportunity to maybe put that into Practice from day dot and Simon Harris yesterday. Completely said he doesn't want to go anywhere near it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And you know, Pascal Dunhu's thing is interesting because he's he's talking about you know there's a number of areas there's scope for improvement. We're definitely going to bring about change. Project Twenty Forty. We had the IMF in. They told us exactly what to do. We're going to mm. do it. Um, and I, I think what was interesting as well um, about the letter from BAM is that you know they I suppose the teacher kind of walked into that situation by men- by not naming these people he's talking about, knowing that he's going to get in trouble for it, knowing that BAM are going to come back and say, "Hang on, was it us you were talking about?" Because if mm. you are the you know we're going to play all of our all of our cards here um and now now they're in a situation where you know I doubt bam are going to, going to um, pull out like you said simon Harris has outlined the different options he had on the table and he clearly says retendering is not going to be something that mm. they're going to do so how do they now go and solve the situation where the work has already started in st James's they're going to have one phase of it open you know and not too long they've got another few years to go before it's completely finished can they somehow recuperate can they you know uh, change the image of what's going on here um I think by just coming out and writing columns about well actually we're going to do a good job in the future it's going to be great that's not going to rehabilitate the image of it at all for the public what the public want to see is the money reined in they want to know that there's not going to be this low balling of tenders or they're going to know they want to know that the government's going to actually do something think, rather than just sit around I saying. Think they're, they're going ca- to change I think,
1: they, I think the great thing about Project Ireland 2040 for the government is that they can it's very far away exactly <laughs> they can wave it around in front of people's faces and go wait and you see this thing in Project 2040 safe in the knowledge they'll be nowhere near government at that yeah. stage even
0: though also that the, the, the cabinet, the cabinet capital spending plans, which of course they have touted so much in the last, uh, you know, Mm. couple of months that these figures that they announced this time last year are already to some degree in disarray because of the amount of money that has to be moved from one place to Mm. another to try and pay for the the overrun in the hospital. Um, Alex White, there is, separately then, everyone wants the hospitals to exist, everyone would like the hospital to exist yesterday and everyone wants it to be put forward and be operational as soon as possible. But when presented with the opportunity to maybe stop and pause for breath and decide whether the current tendering thing is something which perhaps could be put on ice or reviewed. And if it may delay the project by a couple of months, but potentially save the state a huge amount, should there not be some view to the cabinet at least pausing for breath and saying, well, let's actually consider this option rather than having a minister going on radio yesterday and deciding straight away mm-hmm. we're not going anywhere near it?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, I think there is a case for that. Uh, but this is a project that's been beset by delays already. Don't forget, it started on a different site. There was controversy about which site it should ultimately go to. There's still some controversy about that. Um, I see the Sunday Times editorial kind of making a, sim- a similar point, go back to the, go back to the beginning, zero the whole thing. Now, OK, there'd be political fallout from that, but I'd be less worried about political fallout than I would be from financial but fallout. Will it end up costing thing? us more?
0: Haven't we already spent about 200 million quid uh, in what you know economic sunk costs, mm. the money that we've already put in there, that cannot be recovered at all. So well, it might only be a, a hole case. in the ground. but That's we a case the money. for
3: going on That's not a case for pulling it. I mean if you've spent so money it's like you're halfway across the you're plowing across the river and you're halfway or a little you know, you're 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 established across your you, you know your your journey. Are you going to turn around and go back? Or are you going to just keep going? I mean, it's a very, very difficult call politically. I mean, I do accept that. And I think, you know, it, it, the issue really here is people rushing in to giving, to giving unrealistic figures too early in relation to a project that is probably manifestly going to cost a lot more than politicians frankly thought it would cost in the first place. Mm. And that's happening to hospitals over the world, by the but way. But then given the opportunity to pause for breath and maybe review all of that and try and map out a new course, which might hmm. be to everyone's interest, should there not have been some the prospect? Site. Go down to the site in James's that they're flying at it down there. There's. Teams of builders from Romania and from all over the place, there's serious contractors on site down there. You stop it. You presume, I don't know anything about building any more than Simon Harris, but if you've got to seal off a site, stop the building, stop the digging, stop the drilling. You know, like these things have a cost in themselves. So every, no, no option is without implication no option is without consequence or without difficulty that's the problem it's been a long time I suppose. it's been a
2: long enough time coming to actually have this you know 1993 was when it was first mooted mm-hmm. so like it looks really embarrassing if you're like sorry lads i'm just going to stop construction again and go back i can yeah. kind of see from that point of view why that looks bad as much as mm-hmm they made it, perhaps a uh, hames well, out of some elements on well, the thing. Yeah,
0: The one thing on, on that is that I think that they probably could use some clarity from BAM as to whether they would intend to shred the contract without mm. any financial settlement or whether they would mm. be prepared to to cancel a 600 million euro uh, arrangement um, Philip Ryan before we go to a break um, are you at all surprised that the Sunday Times uh, opinion poll this morning the behaviour and attitudes uh, not only has Finnegale retaining its 30% share of the vote despite all the difficulty that it's had over the children's hospital and nurses pay and everything in the last couple of weeks uh, but that separately, uh, Leo Varadkar's personal popularity rating gone down from an all-time high of 59 and now stands at just 39%.
1: Yeah, How do you square like, those two? The honeymoon is well and truly over. Uh, this was always going to happen. I did, there was always going to be a drop. 59 was a remarkable... Uh, or 49, say? Or 59? 59, was uh, 59 there, to 39. Like that, that was a remarkable kind of standing or uh, poll rating. Micheál Martin is the most popular leader in the country, mm. according to that, which I'm sure he'll be happy with going into his Ardesh next <laughs> weekend. And a, a lot of the the people biting at him in his party might be surprised to hear. But no, I think one of the things I think that Fine Gael are most worried about actually is is not even the popularity of the T-shirt because he's all, always the lightning rod. Mm. But the, the Pascal Donoghue's reputation as this, you know, the 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 guru of prudence and balancing books has been slightly damaged and even more so than slightly damaged by this fiasco about numbers and uh, and around the children's hospital. Um, there is mm. some stuff before we move on from the hospital.
0: Mm. There is a lot of um, speculation in the papers today about how exactly we go about looking for accountability and all of this. And there's talk of the Public Accounts Committee trying to investigate or maybe calling in the aforementioned BAM. Um, Alex White, as someone who was, who is was out of the parliamentary arena at the moment, um, The there seems to be a bit of a fad in the last uh, couple of weeks or certainly it's in fashion to give the PAC a bit of a kicking, but is an example like this not really the perfect territory that the PAC ought to be investigating and figuring out what went wrong
3: well BAM don't have to go to the PAC but they're volunteering to well that's interesting uh, you have to see how much of their contract and of the specification they've been prepared to discuss in the PAC when the thing is still ongoing mm. but coming back to the PAC itself I think they have over over extended themselves on occasion I think they've been criticised for that including in the courts I think it's a critically important committee though hugely important historically it's the longest standing committee um, of the Dolls there's no senators on it people tend to forget mm. um, it's there to deal really with financial accountability sometimes they think they're about accountability in the broader sense now of course the two things are linked so is it's the problem then, about financial Is the
0: problem then not its approach but rather the fact that it just steps on the toes of, of other, other committees and
3: that's true and there are other very very strong important committees health and so on that sometimes get a little bit more than a little bit annoyed when the pack sort of muscles into its area and that's fair enough you know I mean that, they, that there should be that tension but you know I think a little bit more more of uh, an understanding that parliamentary business can work best if people actually divide up the work they're doing and not have one committee trying to do everything and other committees then running after them.
0: Uh, there is some other content as well in the Sunday Business Post on that general line of the, the role of the PAC. Um, Philip, the one thing that strikes me is that if there is to be these persistent turf wars between the PAC mm. and other committees such as the, the PAC investigated cervical check for example when the octus Health Committee was trying to do the same mm. thing, mm. Uh, no doubt you'd be looking at the health committee looking at the hospital while the PAC mm. would do so as well. Why 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 don't they just join forces and have joint sittings rather than having this this turf war where they're both calling
1: in the same people day after day? Well, you you see, the the thing is, the, the PAC get accused of political grandstanding during these things but a lot of that is coming from territorially jealous TDs who actually want to do the political grandstanding themselves in their own committees, and and I think that's a part of it. it, it they go like they're they're upset. Okay, Alan Kelly's getting all the headlines, and it's not in the Health Committee where some other TD. Well, Alan Kelly is also a member. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the only thing I would say about the committees is is more for officialdom, and we saw it with uh, Noreen um, Noreen O'Sullivan, she mentioned it on her retirement, is have to having to be dragged through. Like, people who are trying to do a day job, like, say, being the Guard Commissioner, Mm. are being dragged in front of PAC, in front of the the Public Accounts Committee, or in front of the Justice Committee, having to do all these committees day after day, when possibly, if you're a senior figure in one area, possibly you should be just going to one committee, Mm. just so you have it. No question. Even Simon Harris, I think, in recent weeks, had to go before PAC, had to go before Health. Yeah. And, and like that that takes a full eight so hours wh- in each case. What about
0: the complaints then of the likes of Tony O'Brien who was accused in recent weeks of corroding uh, public democracy that he reckons that they, the way that they just go about stuff is that they're only trying to manufacture hysteria? Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? <laughs> Fair (laughs) point Um, Let's move on Uh, The Sunday Business Post its lead story this morning is an interview that's been conducted by Roisin Burke with the uh, Chief Executive of Dublin City Council and it's a fairly wide-ranging interview but he does comment in passing about uh, what the local authority is doing uh, to discuss or to deal with the homeless crisis Uh, and I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs before um, Aoife I'm going to get you to respond to this We're dealing with it every night, we have around 1200 families in emergency accommodation says Owen Keegan, 10 years ago we might have had only 10 families but there are some signs of stabilisation in terms of the numbers presenting we've managed to drive down the numbers in emergency beds and we've much more about 500 families now in hubs which offer much higher levels of housing and each year we've added two or three hundred bed spaces they're much higher quality spaces He makes the astonishing observation, these are Roisin Burke's words, The Dublin City Council has been a victim of its own success in the provision of homelessness services. One of the paradoxical problems, Keegan says, is people are kind of reluctant to move on. They're almost permanent. The more you do, the more it becomes attractive. I'm not questioning people's motives but Dublin is a major draw for people who are homeless because there is a very wide range of service provision the best way to solve homelessness in Dublin he jokes with rather swifty and humor would be to provide no beds
2: swifty and humor are right there um yeah i mean like like she describes the the comments they are astonishing at the same time we've had Skee and make quite astonishing comments about homelessness in Ireland mm-hmm. too um, and for a moment when i first saw the headline i actually thought it was him who had said it and not Owen Keegan um you know the the questions that come up for me there are you know, when you're talking about homelessness and you're talking about people in, you know, um, spending too much time perhaps in emergency accommodation, these are are you, are is he realizing these are people that he's talking about? These are people who are very vulnerable, who are on the fringes of society, who are ending up in a situation where a lot of people would not like to be in, where all of us would not like to be in. Um, and where are they going to go? You know, if they're not going to emergency accommodation, where are they going to go? Is the reason why they're going to Dublin because there aren't high enough quality places for them to go to around the rest of the country? Why are people being drawn to Dublin? Where mm-hmm. is the next step when people are moving out of emergency? accommodation why would you want to spend so much time in emergency accommodation if there wasn't something better there for you you know i just think the idea of saying the level of emergency accommodation is so good that people just want to hang out there all the time i mean we had an FOI on the journal.ie i think it was last year and we looked at some complaints and concerns of people who'd spend time in emergency accommodation and other accommodation that yeah. Dublin city council provided for people who were homeless or in that arena and what was their
0: take on it were they, they were, happy unhappy they were
2: writing letters saying that there were bed bugs in some situations again these are individual letters so i'm not saying this is widespread but there were individual letters from people who had said there was bedbugs in the hotel I was staying in. Um, I saw rat droppings in an area I was in. I have concerns or complaints about this. So again, even though these are individual cases, um, might have been one-off cases, the, you know, people are not living in the lap of luxury in these situations.
0: Uh, Philip, it it seems like there might be a little bit tone deaf given that people would uh, have such concerns about the you know, the homelessness crisis that we have in the capital city and indeed across the country. But might he have a point that if Dublin City Council is providing accommodation which is of a higher quality
1: than you might get in other local authorities that of course people are going to look for wherever is best for housing. Well like, the thing is we we listen to own Keegan um, Connor Skeen, I think you mentioned, and mm. the, the, the lady from Dublin, homeless executive. Eileen so Gleeson? Eileen Gleeson. They've all made comments like this. They've, they've, they've all spoken like this. And, and and these are the people who who are dealing with it day in, day out. Like no one in this room is actually a daily working experience of the homelessness crisis. No. And okay, Owen Keegan's comments aren't going to get him a lot of hits on Twitter and a lot of likes and the usual types will get themselves upset online. Um, and they'll say it's shocking, awful. But like, this is the man who's dealing with it. He's he's the one. He is. He doesn't really have an agenda, I don't think. As such, he's a civil servant in the, in in uh, local authority trying to trying to presume fix it. Mm. Um, and I suppose some, at some stage we're going to have to kind of listen to these guys and go and not be emotive and go like look is this, is this the reality he's uh, the not
2: living in the accommodation though I mean you know anymore. he's not he's not a homeless person so I, I think the, the danger you know if you listen if you want to talk to the people who are actually in the situation and see what it's really like to be homeless in Ireland talk to people who are homeless I mean I, I remember I did an, and I obviously haven't been in that situation but I remember doing an article a few years ago and spending time in an emergency accommodation and it's not a you know it's not a luxury place where people are having to live and but people I are in very point, vulnerable situations I you think know? the
1: point is trying to make is and maybe they haven't gone into t- it in depth is, yeah. is that like the fact that people go into these emergency com- d- uh, um, accommodations into these hotels on the basis that they kind of realise that it's a it's a fast route to a house of course, and, it's supposed and that, to that, be that's what he's housing trying to make first here and it, policy. maybe that should have been teased out more in uh, the article
0: In, in fairness actually uh, the, the quote that I read um, I possibly ended it at an inopportune time uh, the, the quote goes on that I read uh, the best way to solve homelessness in Dublin would be to provide no beds he joked now I'm not advocating that but when you do go out of your way to increase accommodation and accommodation and improve the standards of that accommodation and provide a whole lot of support services then you become naturally it's a much more attractive place to be that's just the reality the more you do supply creates its own demand that's what happens and in fairness there is significant political support for homelessness services significant public support so there has been a huge public investment in, in public services um what do you make of this alex well, I actually, I genuinely don't know what question to throw to you because I, yeah. I, I'm conflicted between well, I'm perhaps the substance and own death.
3: I mean, I, I do think that it's um, ill-judged to joke in the way that maybe that he has. But on the other hand, I'm kind of inclined towards what Philip said and that, you know, we've been... Uh, I think for too long uh, we've had a problem with public servants actually saying what they think based on their experience. and Mm. I think that public servants should should, in fact, be free to comment and free to engage uh, in in the public discourse based on the experience that they have. Now, I don't think that anybody I can't imagine that anybody would want to live permanently in emergency accommodation. Like, why would anybody want to live in in emergency temporary accommodation permanently if that's what's being suggested? Well, it just might, doesn't look right to me. Might it be because like the standard of rental accommodation
0: it. in Dublin in the the private market has actually become so poor, and, and we see the pieces I, that, that you and your I, colleagues you know, put up on the Daily yeah. Edge every well, month? exactly. He but he I'd thought. like
3: to know more about that. I'd like to understand whether what he's saying is in fact true. Whether you know, I'm not saying he's he's misrepresenting the position. I'd like to see more about it. Is the stuff, that's the bit that gets on the, the front page? His joke about his Swifty and whatever mm. that's what's on the front page. But then what's it's the a big te- long article What's the takeaway message
0: to learn then from a comment like that if he says that actually they have difficulty sometimes Elaborate getting people to leave and
3: tell us what you mean Elaborate and tell us, so are there people permanently staying in this accommodation that won't move, refuse to move? Explain to us what you, what, what the council is doing about uh, building and providing accommodation so that people don't have to stay in emergency accommodation. So don't just have a glib comment and joke about, oh, sure, if we didn't have houses at all, there wouldn't be a problem. If we didn't have a, a provision at all, there wouldn't be a problem. But I don't think that he should be criticised or prevented from commenting. And I don't think practically anybody. I mean, I believe in freedom. You know, people should be have freedom to speak and freedom, particularly people who are actually in charge of these services they should say but then they should be interrogated by people like you as to what they meant i mean get him in here and ask him what he meant by that and to elaborate on sorry i'm not saying what you're no. the journal.ie <laughs> in fairness have done like right. let's see what these people mean when they make these comments that look glib and let's have the public understand what they meant by that. Well, if Owen Keegan is listening, the,
1: the number is on the website, <laughs> Newstalk.com, so do give us a buzz and tell us what you mean. Just of the, of- I think one of the things that was inter- I think it was announced during the week was Owen Murphy was talking about bringing in new rules about people uh, turning down social housing. Mm, yeah. And if, if there sh- they turn down a second offer, that they will then have to wait a further five years for the next one. Mm. Now, that wasn't done for no reason. That wasn't done because... Some it seems to be adding ideology. some credence to, to some of the things that Conor Skeen has been saying before. But that, that, that's exactly. And it ties into this thing. So like there is there is it has been said that, that there are people who who are turning down multiple homes. They, they want to live in a certain area they are willing to, to stay in some of these accommodations until they, they get that. You're yeah.
2: probably talking about the minority of people there. Well that's the you thing and you're, and deflecting,
3: you're deflecting attention from mm. where the problem really yeah. is exactly. which is our, in a, our apparent failure to actually provide the housing and exactly. provide the accommodation.
2: And, and like the knock on effects of the housing and rental crisis you're going to have more families who are homeless more families who are living in hotels and I don't think necessarily giving out about them staying in those situations when we don't know what the other um, option for them is is really going to maybe curry favour for you for you you mm. know no if Owen Owen Keegan meant it in a positive way or he wants to help I'm sure he wants to help people out
0: Another thing that he does say by the by is that he is vociferously against a return to the previous mould where local authorities built large tracts of houses around Dublin by themselves He believes Mm -hmm. that the vast bulk of house building responsibility will last with the private sector and he thinks that there's no way that the state can intervene on on the scale that it used to do Um, I am inclined Mm -hmm. to think though Aoife as I mentioned a moment ago that if there is some reluctance from people who have emergency accommodation and it might be new and it might not be ideal but at least it is in some circumstances circumstances it will be clean and warm but they might be very reluctant to leave it because they know what's out there and they know that it's now extortionately expensive to Mm -hmm. rent some places that you wouldn't see fit to leave a cat in sometimes
2: yeah completely and i mean you know i'm sure we've all seen it in different ways whether you are looking yourself on a housing website trying to rent something or whether you you've read um, articles about it um there the options out there can be really stark for people and you also get into stuff like um, the housing assistance payment tap people have run into issues there with landlords who won't take that from them again you're talking about people who are you know not earning a lot of money, who are, in, who are in difficult situations. And there's a lot of barriers and social barriers there for people. And I think when you make the discussion about, oh, people don't want to be, you know, they want to stay forever in homeless accommodation, mm. you're completely distracting from the fact that we have a huge homelessness mm. Um, issue in Ireland. So how, nice. how do we direct, you know address yeah. that and not start addressing giving out mm. about people? It
3: is just one thing that he said in a, quite a lengthy. Yeah, it minutes, is, and it's you know. worth reading so, the entire yeah, thing because he has is. some
2: very really interesting yeah. points. I think mm. his point of like you were saying, um, Gavin, about about local authority housing um, is interesting because there's a lot of discussion around you know uh, the great strides that were made back in the 1930s or mm. thereabouts and mm. in changing the tenement issues and stuff there. So how do we move forward and have a new approach in terms mm. of uh, solving the issues It, there, it
3: is staggering,
0: today. irrespective of what do you think that Owen keegan is on the right side of that debate believing that the state shouldn't intervene in the same way that it used to do back in the 30s or 40s and this is back in a time when the country frankly had to pot to piddle in. and then you look at what's on page 13 of the sunday business post where michael brennan has written a piece about how how do we house the nurse and the guard that if you are a nurse on the average salary and a guard on the average salary you can afford to spend 310 euro which is enough to get you a two two bedroom terraced house in stony batter which could be perfect if you're trying to um if you're perhaps living alone or maybe if you have one child but that if you want to have a family in an urban area sometimes Philip that it's just Mm. becoming a complete non-runner
1: Yeah no it's this disparity between what the rent you have to pay while you're sitting in your apartment saving up forking out 15, 16, 17 grand for a two bedroom apartment Mm. and then trying to put a few quid away for at the weekend to save up for your Whatever twenty grand deposit or is it thirty grand deposit on some of those houses? Those houses out in Stony Batter, great location, but they're tiny. You're not mm. going to raise you're, much. You're of talking work as well. A lot of work in well a lot of, to to a lot of cases to, to yeah. do them up. But but moving yeah into the suburbs, it, 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 it's just not a reality. So why can't um,
0: Alex? I'm going to come to you on this. Why can't the state intervene in the ways that it used to do? How come when the country was was flat broke and we were in the middle of this destructive economic war with our former imperial power and all of this and the country was was flat broke and we could still afford to fundamentally house people and now the state whether it's a a policy position or, or whatever it is the state is deciding that by and large they expect the private market to well, a lot of that I disagree
3: with Owen Keegan I think the state has to intervene now it may not intervene in the way that it did in the 30s the 20s and 30s or even up to the 50s where it was itself building the homes it, but it has to actually intervene in terms of the kind of housing that's provided and the cost and the affordability of housing and that does involve state intervention it might not mean that Clark of Works wandering around uh, um, city you know the, the, the offices of, 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 of the Dublin Corporation are having sort of builders and, and so on employed directly by the local authorities but mm. it doesn't involves state intervention nevertheless in a more sophisticated way like for example things like you know the cost rental schemes the affordable schemes that are uh, being promoted by a lot of the local authorities um, and social housing of course the state has to intervene it has to fund these things it's completely ridiculous to say and I think untenable to say as Owen Keegan appears to be saying that the private sector will solve this the profit motive on its own will not solve this Mm. if you just let them at it and let the private sector they manifestly can't and won't and are not solving it so I think he's wrong there and I think there is a debate to be had about it but I don't think it's like, I mean, I grew up in my early years in Marino, which was one of the first public housing uh, projects in the state in the late 20s. An amazing scheme. crumbling all of these places the same. But like... They were done at a different time when we didn't we didn't have a welfare system. We didn't have a lot of the other public provision that we have now. So I don't think that we're going to employ builders to do this again within local authorities. But that does not mean that the state shouldn't intervene. It has to intervene.
1: Philip, one of the points he does seem to make and I've kind of noticed that when you're looking around at housing developments, new housing developments these days, is that there's a reluctance of uh, some of the major developments when they're building apartment units and new housing units to have the kind of the social mix. Mm. and and what they've done instead. And Mm. I I don't know how this Mm. will result or what will be the the impact socially on this. But if you, in a lot of cases, I've seen new developments made and there's houses, three or four bedroom houses scattered around the places and plumped in front of that to get their their part five, I think it's called, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. To to get over that that percentage of five percent. They just build a little mini tower block at the front Mm -hmm. of it for where you're going to put people from who are in homeless crisis but or in surely, near social housing. it's better to do yeah. that, that now easy.
0: where whatever about the social mix, at yeah. least that means that you do have those units rather than what happened you in, in the, to. the last
1: couple of decades where developers were able to just buy their way out of that but requirement. It, 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 yeah, but it, it, it's still like... It, it's still visually anyway to me there's a real us and them mentality when you come into these estates yeah. and you see there's the little apartment block over there and that's where all the social housing people live and everyone else who uh, can afford to buy houses are living down the road Cause there.
2: Yeah because it's supposed to be a social mix and the idea mm. of the word mix means you don't have people kind of effect- effectively ghettoised in one area and again like visually if you're mm. thinking about you know um, tower blocks and, and and specific kind of flats and things like that that mm. unfortunately can bring up those those presumptions and it can mm. apportion people away from the other people who can afford so there's a massive um,
3: demand for people who are. I mean, it's not it's not tenement clearance anymore. It's not yeah. like it was a hundred years ago. People who are young graduates, like dare I say, people in this studio and others, and people of the same generation. Um, and it's not just the fact that they're graduates, but I mean, it's 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 not it's not people coming out of poverty in the inner cities that we have to. It's actually yeah. a whole generation of young people who have to be accommodated uh, with homes who themselves will want to make a contribution, but they simply can't afford it. So I would rather talk about public housing than mm. social housing very often. Like we will really need social housing. People who never. Be able to afford. But that's a small percentage. But there's a massive uh, cohort now of people of your generation who are in their 20s and 30s, who maybe have been to college, who have decent enough jobs, who aspire to staying in Ireland, having families. They are the big problem. That's that's the biggest, in terms of numbers, that's the biggest problem that we have. Yeah, Um, and and
2: you do see there, there's a call, I can't remember exactly who called for it, but for the affordable housing limit to be broadened from 75k to 100k. And and in one way, you might think, actually, here, you know, people are earning that amount of money, then surely Mm. they can save. But actually, as I know myself and from other people, that I'm talking to if you're looking at how much you're paying in rent the rent is going up and up and up and that's up right. it's gone up about three or four hundred euro in the area I'm living in in the last two and a half years which yeah. is absolutely unbelievable Um, how people just are finding it very difficult on really good wages that's right. in many Brennan, cases to yeah. that's that. his piece about
3: the, guard, the, the, some, the, the famous yeah. guard and, and the nurse and by the yeah. way he says at the end yes, very interesting just <laughs> to prove that I read the whole thing he said the Central <laughs> yeah. Statistics Office found that the mm. number of nurses married to he <laughs> was less than the public might have expected 15% mm-hmm. of married male Gardner had a nurse but as uh, a spouse I think I mentioned about the in the said
1: it, is that uh, they're the two 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 groups who've got uh, pay increases in the last few years, mm. thanks to protests. Right.
0: Um, if there's quite a bit in today's papers about um, the Me Too movement and how this week it seems to have moved from, uh, from film into the world of music, largely spawned by the allegations surrounding um, Ryan Adams, which we don't have time to, to get into the full yeah. detail of. Um, but it does seem that the music industry has been quite a bit behind the curve in terms of dealing with this institutional sexism than film is. And the one thing that I I can't quite get my head around is why it's taken this long. How how come, uh, you know, film and TV all managed to go in a domino effect so quickly and music yeah. has held out for so long.
2: Well you know I think the reasons behind sexism and prejudice in all the industries are all come from the same roots but I think if you look at music in particular and this is an inter- a particular interest of mine I studied in college I did a thesis on, on gender and music and reading about it was just so interesting Um because a lot of music particularly rock music is it, the bedrock of it is you know men are the musicians men are the powerful people on stage and women are the groupies they're the muse um, women have their role outside of that now that's mm. the quote quote unquote traditional stereotypical roles. Um, and if you look at the the myths and you know mythology, the stories around it, you've got Led Zeppelin and the groupies, you know, you've got, you know, lots of really interesting stories around all of that. So women and men have, have had their stereotypical roles. Um, when I was growing up, you didn't have a lot of women in bands, young girls in bands. Thankfully, that is changing hugely. You've lots of more powerful women in music. Mm-hmm. Um, you have lots of younger girls in bands, which is great. But what you also have is this acceptance of bad behavior of the, you know, the, the kind of rock and roll lifestyle, the sex drugs and rock and roll and what was happening is you were kind of having the the kind of front men particularly being I suppose serviced by groupies and women having their role of like pleasuring them and actually not actually having a, a, a role themselves so when you have this bedrock of accepted sexism and acceptor, accepted gender roles it's very hard for women who are coming up to speak out about it I mean I've talked to you know I, I was you know when I was younger I used to DJ and things like that I saw it myself firsthand the stuff that you'd have from people the presumption that I didn't know as much about music as my male peers the oh girls you're he going to lap dance? Uh, what band is this, you know, label on? The lad's mm. messing with the mixer and that's just like the tip of the iceberg. You uh, know? So do
0: you think then it's taken longer to, to get around to addressing those things because those gender roles are so reinforced in music by comparison to film and TV where you have female leads plenty and that they're not quite as a rarity
2: uh, well I think it's interesting because there's actually those, those gender roles are you know enforced in many different ways throughout, throughout all the society and throughout all those sectors but it just depends on how quickly and how easily people find it to speak out and I think that it's so hard if you're in an industry to put your hand up and say actually the way people are, are treating me is is sexist or listen that thing you said to me about me not knowing about this or don't carry that amp or whatever That that is sexist so it's very hard for people to speak out but what you had was you had the Weinstein situation obviously mm. with um, the New Yorker New York Times having those articles and that all of a sudden just it just broke open broke open the door and all of a sudden women it was safe for people to speak and not just women but safe for people to speak and now I think Ryan Adams and with the Ora Kelly documentary as well it's all of a sudden people are getting to, to open to open their mouths and talk about it without the feeling that, that they might be somehow punished for it which is the fear So that this, this could
0: actually be the, the trigger point that, that spawns a lot more testimony It could be
2: and I really hope it is and I thought, I thought what, what was really good is seeing so many men and women particularly on Twitter speaking out about this sort of behaviour I know so many great guys I've worked with throughout the years who are just appalled by this sort of thing and I think now finally you're getting more women putting their hands up and and people have been saying to me privately you know I've been unhappy with things and now I'm going to eventually try and say stuff but I hope they don't have to pay a price for it I think that's that's the thing
0: Interesting thoughts Uh, There are two other pieces in today's papers that I want to get to and I want to exclude Alex from this one because Alex as a uh, European candidate will have some great interest in exactly who might be on the ballot paper Mm -hmm. against him Uh, Philip Mm -hmm. today the selection convention for Fianna Fáil for the European elections in Dublin is taking place and you have um, three people who are steeped in the party you have former constituency colleagues of of Alex's um, Mary Hannafin and Barry Andrews there's also uh, Conor Lenihan the former junior minister and Tiernan Brady um if you're a betting man where would you see that going today
1: It's a it's a really difficult one there's and Brady the uh, LGBT activist uh, mm. uh, the same sex marriage referendum He's got a good public profile from that. Uh, he's, he seems to be getting the nod from some senior people in the party. Jim O'Callaghan and Dara Cleary have been quite vocal in their support of him. Uh, but then you do have these big names of the past. and who have run for election, people who have run for election, people who know members, know members uh, quite well. And anybody senior in politics will tell you, Alex as well, once you tell members to do something, there's a very strong chance to do the exact opposite.
0: Uh, some interesting. That was have said. Wait, wait to see that one with bated breath, uh, Alex. Before you have an opportunity to comment on that one matter that that is also in today's papers, uh, in which you have do have some some qualification to speak. Um, there's we're going to be talking about this a little bit more in the next hour, but there are some reports uh, across the today's business pages about uh, the increased efforts that some private. Um, broadband providers are making in the market you have the likes of of air and imagine all investing now in areas where we previously thought it wasn't tenable for the market to go in all of which raises questions around whether the national broadband plan itself something you used to be responsible for is now ever going to be feasible at all given that the proportion of the country in which the state would have to intervene is actually now so disparate and so small and so distant that simply no one could go there.
3: Well the actual the actual purport, the actual actual uh, map of the area that the plan needs to cover is hu- It's a huge proportion of the country like it's well over 90% of the actual territory of the country not mm. in terms of population but the territory when you look at the map we mapped it we did that in consultation with, with a lot of these operators that you're now talking about who are now popping up saying they're going to do all these sort of things that they never said they were going to do before mm. I think you've got to read what they're saying very carefully You've got to try to separate out PR from actual definite commitments. That's why we brought people in over a period of months to actually get them to specify precisely what they were going to do. And we had some consultants <laughs> to actually advise <laughs> us on what these guys were saying, <laughs> what these guys were actually saying, and what what did it mean? Like, Old Kennedy had a piece in the Irish Times during the week where he said, look, Air are talking about this extra investment. Is that not stuff they've already committed to? Can we drill in there and see? So I think that's a, you've got to be very careful. Imagine the the, the they're not interested in... Uh, in fibre-based technology, no. which we've always believed—at least when I say we—when we, I was there, yeah, believed the state, it's the most robust. Yes. It is the mo- most robust. It'll get to, get across the country. It'll be it will it will endure into the future. It'll be more robust. So there's a lot of players here. There's a lot of people looking to cherry pick stuff. Will they in fact do it in the end? There's a certain amount of gaming going on. I was very disappointed that the government let let air. Take an extra chunk of the of the of the rural area. Um, the 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 when Dennis Nocton was minister, I think he probably did it for the best of reasons. But I think it actually made the brought the national broadband plan in rural Ireland less attractive for other bodies. And then you saw Syro actually leaving it, which is the ESB and Vodafone. Yeah. So there's an awful lot. You know, I'm tra- there's an awful lot here. There's a lot of stuff that you need but to sift through. In, in, in summary, you're, you're but a little bit more
0: more sceptical about the I would have the some
3: concerns about it because if you, you, as you say at the start, if you shrink the area, it's a bit like say, you provide a bus service in rural rural area rural areas. If you allow some operator just to cherry pick the easy routes, you know, the stuff in and between the, the villages that are accessible rather than going up the hill to the to the place that's more remote, obviously it's going to be less attractive for other players. So there is an issue here for the government to no okay. talk about. More it. on
0: that with Adrian Weckler in the next hour, but I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there with our newspaper panel for now. My thanks to Alex White, senior council Labour Councillor and former Minister of for Communications. Uh, thank you, Alex. Uh, Philip Ryan is a deputy political editor with independent newspapers. Thank you, Philip. And Eva Barry is the assistant news editor at the journal.ie Thank you, Eva.